Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR because you'll save 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD-infused, deliciously rich, and potentially life-altering Strava Craft Coffee. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always, is our beat writer, Patrick Lyons, and we have got to break down a frustrating, ugly, uh, really poor performance from the Colorado Rockies all the way around in a 6-4 to loss to the Texas Rangers. A couple of highlights that you can have there, to be sure. Uh, Herman Marquez did not pitch poorly by any means. Uh, but really, this one was uh, one of those games where there's a lot to question. For me, Patrick, uh, you know, we, we could go a lot of different ways here. Uh, there were a lot of people criticizing a lot of different things. I mentioned, you know, the defense. There was a key error on Nolan Arenado. A lot of people really, really wanted to put the blame for that thing on Daniel Murphy, where I still think the blame is on Nolan Arenado. Uh, we can get into that in a minute. But actually, for me, this game was really much more about something else, and that was the poor offensive approach. And I talked about this a little bit uh, on the short podcast I, I had to do without you there, uh, where I very briefly said, you know, against Lance Lynn, it was very clear. Opening game of the season, they came out, and they were like, we're going to wait you out. They made him throw over 100 pitches in six innings, drove him from the game. And Lance Lynn very clearly came out and said, that's not going to happen again. I'm throwing every pitch in the strike zone, do something about it. And the Rockies kind of were a little bit late figuring out what to do. They had to start getting into attack mode. I felt like it made sense. I was worried there might be carryover into the next game. And to my taste for for what we've been talking about all year, way too much swinging at the first or second pitch of an at-bat. They had a five-pitch inning at one point in there. Uh, did not like the offensive approach from the Rockies tonight. Very right. After Friday night's performance where they lead off the game with back-to-back singles with Hampson and Story, Lance Lynn goes out and throws a no-hitter. Like He retired 27 straight guys. Not a perfect game, but a no-hitter. And, and Rockies were lucky enough to scratch a run across, I think in the seventh inning with, with two errors on Walters and, and Story. So they, they push a run across, but you're right. Lynn absolutely dominated, and we kind of saw, you know, that that bleed into today's game. They got the two runs early in the second inning uh, with uh, Tony Walters, two out, two run double that scored uh, Kemp and McMahon, which was fantastic, great for Walters there. But then after that, it got very, very quiet. Uh, Kyle Gibson, who was a guy this this off season, you and I both really liked as a as a potential signing. That took me back. I was remembering those conversations, too. I was like, man, that feels like so long ago. We were talking about Kyle Gibson and what he might look like at Coors Field, and here it is. I was the number one guy on on the wish list, uh, especially if you're going after starting pitching. And, and again, you know, the the Rockies have been fine with their their core four, and um, I'm sure they, they, you know, if Peter Lambert's healthy, it would have been fine. But still, you need five starters right now in Major League Baseball, and for him to have only gotten three years at $28 million. You see what he does in his first start against the Rockies, making, of course, his Coors Field 
debut gets 12 ground balls and I think you know the Rockies helped him out a little bit with that as you said five pitch inning I think he was only up in the high 80s by the time he had gotten to the seventh so you know again mm. get, got got a couple gifts uh, did give up you know eight hard hit balls overall but a lot of that comes down to the Rockies offense their approach at the plate McMahon looked good he did he did get two hits particularly uh, the fact that that double that he ended up getting in the ninth came after he was down 0-2. So that's one of those silver linings that you take away it's from great this game. swing, too. Great swing. And maybe swing. him and Walters maybe, you know, are, are coming back. But overall, you know, after Trevor Story's uh, three extra base hits in his first three at-bats, the offense was relatively quiet. Yeah, and, you know, I sometimes get caught in this weird spot where, there's the, and we're going to come back to this on the defensive side where explaining the very specific context of a thing. And it sounds like, well, you know, at one point, do we start to worry about this drew? Cause you said all throughout the diamondback series, the Rockies ran into a bunch of bad luck and here a little bit again, they, they ran into some bad luck, both uh, on both sides of the ball and certain things that are unsustainable. The real culprits of the bad situational at bats tonight were, Charlie Blackman and Nolan Arenado. Trevor Story had extra base hits in his first three at-bats right in front of that heart of the order, and those guys were not able to bring him in uh, even there early on when just a productive out would have done it. Now, they did bring in the infield, and, and Charlie got decent wood on the ball but hit it right at the second baseman. And again, even that is a little bit of bad luck. But... You also don't expect those guys to continue to struggle. What that does show is that much more of a need to get production out of the bottom half of the lineup. And that's why it is a good sign that Ryan McMahon had some good at-bats and really, really crushed that ball in the ninth the other way, purposefully taking an off-speed pitch out away from him the way he intended to. And so long-term, am I that worried? about the offense actually no like you said i think there are some more positive signs but this approach has got to go away this is one of the like if it was a game 162 you don't say anything but you almost have to be more like a basketball coach in this instance and go into the the clubhouse afterwards and go guys not again okay you you tried to go out there and and hit your way back into the series and, and get happy and go out there and swing at everything you could you thought you could hit and you got outside of what we've been doing all year that's made us successful and we can't afford to do that again because that puts all of the onus on the pitching and it means you can't make a single defensive mistake and we saw what happened. Yeah, it is kind of strange juxtaposition between, you know, the the high scoring series against a National League team like the Diamondbacks for those three series, and here the Rangers come to town, and outside of that three-run home run that Estevez gives up, you know this is this is almost like a pitcher's duel, or a very uh, low-scoring ball game where you got to do those little things really well and advance runners. And going one four thirteen with runners in scoring position tonight for Colorado, you know was was a continuation of Friday night where they went zero for six. So you you can't have that. You you gotta you know step up and. You know, they've been successful when they they pass the baton to the next guy, whatever that is. Even if it is just moving the runner up one, because you know what, I'm going to get you into scoring position uh, with a ground ball the the opposite way, and now the next guy can go ahead and do that thing. But uh, that becomes harder to do if if you're not getting on base 
early on. So, you know, that's that's one of the things that they're struggling with. You know, Charlie Blackman in the middle of the order now. He has just two hits Suddenly, five games yeah. against the Rangers, right? Yeah. So and, and Nolan, he's he's doing his job uh offensive well, he's doing his job defensively, I mean to say. Uh, and that error that that you had mentioned early on, you know, is that an error or is that a is that more like he got to a ball most other people wouldn't have even gotten to, and that should have just been that should have been a double down the line, and yet Arenado gets to it, makes a you know lackluster throw that Murphy can't dig out, so now the runner's on first base instead of second, yet that's an error. Well, that was the one that put guys at first and third. The 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 error that cost him was the one on the line drive where he threw the ball back at 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 the feet of uh, of Murphy yeah. uh, uh, right, and that that was the one where I was getting into some some debate with some people online. In fact, if we're gonna have a debate, why don't we go ahead and crack open a beer really quick? I'm gonna crack open this uh, vanilla porter I've got here from mm. Breckenridge Brewery. No My avalanche amber ale. I, you know, I, I had, it's because I'm out because I drank all of my avalanche amber ale watching the avalanche lose their first playoff game to the coyotes today, even though they outshot them by a ratio of like three to one or something like that. 49 saves. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous game from their goalie. So all out of the avalanche amber, unfortunately, but I can probably just head out to the farmhouse tomorrow because I'm going to be out in that direction. I'll call 303-803-1380 between noon and 8 p.m. I'll use that code DNVR because I'll save five bucks off both the food and the beverage. And I'm going to have a good time. Uh Maybe going down there, we'll see after the Rockies can uh, salvage a game potentially in this series behind John Gray. We'll have to find out. But getting back into this debate that we have to have now that we're all into our our Breckenridge brews. What I was trying to point out on Twitter is that we all know Nolan Arenado is a great defender, arguably the best in the game. I mean, he's got the platinum gloves to prove it. And in fact, right around these two plays that we've discussed here, he made two sensational plays on a one on a double play, right? Where he tagged, was it Odor coming across? No, right. doesn't really matter. Okay. It was Odor, I, yeah. Yeah, well, sure. And, and threw across and, and got the guy. Uh, just a, a gorgeous double play. And then another running over the shoulder basket catch. He's starting to turn that like into a signature play. Turns around, fires home. Perfectly on the money. We don't need to have it explained to us what what Nolan Arenado is capable of defensively. But that doesn't mean that he is completely free from any criticism whatsoever. And when he makes a defensive mistake, it's still our job to point it out. And I'm sure he's saying right now somewhere, I should have come down cleanly set my feet, I had plenty of time, and delivered that right to Murphy's chest. He threw it low. I thought at first, and they talked about this on the broadcast, that it may have hit the runner in the foot. On second viewing, I don't think that it did. But that you even have to look to see whether or not it hit the runner in the foot tells you that's not a good throw. That's not a good throw from a third baseman to a third baseman who was actually in and close and had time. And Nolan will tell you that every time. It's not one of those from deep in the hole where he's trying to bounce it on purpose and give a guy a short. No, 
it, it was a mistake of a throw. The error goes on the third baseman on purpose. And yes, it is also still true that a better third ba- first baseman, potentially even just an average first baseman, could have still turned that into an out. But just because a first baseman could have bailed Nolan Arenado out from a bad throw does not mean that it wasn't a bad throw. We know that 95% of the time, Nolan's going to make a better throw there, but we do have to point out the 5% when he made the bad play and it cost the Rockies a run. Yeah, that, that absolutely happens. He's, he's not a robot. Um, that, that's what makes him great because a robot you could never program to make some of those plays that he does because right. it's, it's kind of outside of the realm of, of, the, of the plays you you would you would think someone can make because as you said going with that over the shoulder basket catch he was able to get there with enough time to almost stop and steady himself to be able to turn around and fire and the runner at third base or I think it was Joey Gallo he was just like no there's there's just no way I'm even going you know on on something like that whereas anyone else you certainly would test it and at least try to get halfway down the line to see if the throw was there but he didn't budge off third base one single move. bit. No. So he's going to make errors uh, during, during the course of the season. So, you know, it is what it is. It, there was one point on, on that one, as, as, as you correctly pointed out, that Murphy couldn't dig out. You know, he had this look on his face that there wasn't an expression, but that expression, you look behind his eyes and goes, man, yeah. can I, man, yeah, he got lucky. He, he was spoiled that rookie season playing with, yeah. Todd Helton there at first base. And that was just like, oh, this is great. Wow, I like I like playing third base. Won his first gold glove. I'm sure he was very thankful to Todd Helton. And everyone after that, he he entirely earned it completely unto himself. You know, obviously Morneau did did a decent job over at first base. Uh, yeah. deal with the season of Ian Desmond. Last Reynolds year, could pick it a little bit, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, Desmond uh, not really skilled in that department. Murphy's been very hit and miss in the, in the – scooping department obviously he had a bad game in terms of scooping out there tonight he had another one in that inning that was a key inning that was just a ground ball a hard one uh toward him that he probably should have had that he mishandled it sort of kicked off his glove and into center field there so i'm also not out here defending daniel murphy as some fantastic defensive first baseman that everyone needs to get off his back like clearly that's not my position but n- none of those outside factors change an individual play and who you've got to place the blame on for that particular play. But you're right on the other one. I'm sure he's going, I know you don't have to have that, but shouldn't you, shouldn't you have that? And and he, and he should. And Ryan McMahon or Josh Fuentes probably makes that scoop 85% of the time. I would think Josh Fuentes makes that play 90 95%, yeah. Especially yeah. in the last season and a half where these guys are, you know, trying to get some time on backfields during during the quarantine and whatnot and any chance they get, you know, Fuentes knows he's he doesn't really need that third baseman's mitt or that infielder's mitt. He's like, "All right, right. I need I need to really get comfortable with this first baseman's mitt, sleep with it every night, put a baseball in my mitt." Tie some string around it, put it under my mattress. All the things you do when you're a kid and you're excited uh, about the game of baseball. That's right. Uh, Maybe even getting some of that spray you put on it and you put it in your oven. I never did that, but yeah. that is a thing that existed. So doing that on I those backfields, he got to see those. Yeah. 
he he got to to see what that's like firsthand. Yeah. That throw coming across the diamond, and again, he's he could have he could be a, a easily a finalist for the Rawlings Gold Glove as a third baseman. He's never he's probably he's not going to get that chance on the Rockies. Uh, maybe somewhere else he could, uh, but he certainly would be you know a major upgrade at first base. That being said, you don't need a a, a defensive first baseman when you have two Gold Glover two Gold Glove caliber uh, infielders on the left side of the diamond. Like that's the last position you need a guy that's all glove no bat when you've right. got Arenado and Story there. So. You understand that decision, and Murphy looked so good for the first couple weeks, uh, rather the first two weeks, and then immediately mm-hmm. since, you know, it, it's been a little it's bit been, questionable, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and Henry brings up an interesting point here. You know, is Bud Black being? I, I love that he phrased it like he's a ball player. Is he being productive enough to keep Colorado in contention? I actually love that phraseology here for the NL West division title because this is what he has to balance we're over here singing the praises rightfully so of mcmahon and fuentes at first base but we know ryan mcmahon striking out 40 percent of the time and was really struggling to hit the ball there for a minute we know that fuentes never gotten into a rhythm at the major league level offensively though he's young and maybe could uh, you know limited offensive profile even in some ways and Daniel Murphy is still out there hitting 333. He's got an OPS of 882. His bat helped the Colorado Rockies win several of those games that helped them build this cushion in the first place. And so that's just, that's a tough balancing act for a manager, man. You can't watch a couple of plays out there like they had tonight and go, God, Murphy's just not getting it done at first base. All right, well, it looks like we may have lost Drew. Hopefully he'll be coming back. His Wi-Fi guinea pigs will have to get back into the wheel and get going and generate some of those good vibrations there. Uh, but as Drew was saying, is that you know Murphy needs to make plays like that um, because again that kind of opens the door and and you see Marquez going out having a, a quality start, uh, gave up three runs over his six innings, but only two of them were earned, so his ERA you know does stay down. But you know it it comes down to and I, I think one of us said at the beginning. You throw a quality start at Coors Field, the offense has to be able to generate, you know, a little production there on that side. And and Marquez is not at fault. It's the offense. And then I guess second that you'd have to put on that list would be Carlos Estevez, would be the, the bullpen as a whole. You know, we saw Bard finally, you know, look human on Friday night. And the bullpen is is maybe starting to come back down to earth a little bit like like the entire team, you know, that they haven't looked bad. You know, they haven't really been blown out of the water except that one loss against Arizona. So um, Kenley, maybe that one inning, the eight-run eight inning was eight. bad. But, yeah, yeah. No, totally agree. It's 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 a natural regression thing here for the bullpen a little bit. This stuff is going to balance out. Uh, Marquez only having the three strikeouts, uh, you know, contributes a little bit. You're, you're like, that's kind of strange. He usually gets a little bit more swing and miss. Bad time, you know, when Coors Field is giving up all these, and he and he did. He had two uh, sub seventy five mile an hour hits that he gave up that were key hits that brought in runs, and that's a tough way to live out there at Coors Field, man. But you strike a few more guys out, and you can prevent some of that stuff. So it was odd to see him not do that when that's been kind of his calling card. But still, our draft king of the game, 
uh, for going out there and pitching through all of that traffic for inducing the ground balls. He even helped a little bit with the defense got in on a, a great double play that he started himself. And we've seen so many pitchers screw that thing up, throw the ball into center field or fall down. And, and he did a great job there. So uh, again, and, and it's, this is crazy, man. It's another, didn't um, I believe Marquez came into this season with Without having lost in interleague play. Yeah. And now he has dropped three to, well, now two to the Rangers and, and one to the, the Mariners. Yeah, his strikeout numbers were, were down last Sunday, you know, against the Mariners, too, uh, unfortunately. And um, his, his start today, I think, was his 98th career start. So that ties him 11th in franchise history with Kevin Ritz. Sure. All right. So we say. all had that one. We all, that was Put, a gimme. Putting on the Ritz. Yeah. That's right. Um, but I, it's funny because I, I would have, I wanted to ask you this uh, at some point in the last couple of days. What is your take on the fact that they gave Marquez an extra day's rest because his natural rest uh, for four days would have been on Friday? So that does mean you would have skipped Castiani. But by starting Marquez on Friday, you know that potentially means one extra start at the end of the season, maybe when the entire season is on the line. Now, it could be Ryan Castellani making that start on the final day of the regular season, potentially. What do you think about them, you know, not skipping Castellani? Yeah, you know, I, I think that was interesting. I'm sure they had, I would imagine their reasons for doing it, and this is debatable, uh, had as much to do with their development of Ryan Castellani as anything else. I think that they really wanted to get, they assumed that the, now the, the 25 year old veteran in Herman Marquez can handle a little bit and maybe even could use some of the time off for this upcoming stretch of games where they're, they're really going to need to go through it here where Castellani, you want to make sure that you're keeping him on a very strict regimen. And we've seen where right in the first game, he was going to be limited to what 40 or 50 pit. What, what was it? 50, 60 pitches. Um, then it was 80, you know, so something like that. And, and so will they even totally take the training wheels quote unquote off of him completely? But I, I think it's as, for just knowing how they are with bringing up young players. Um, and so if that pays off, I think that'll be the tell of whether or not this strategy is paid off. I think for me, it'll be less about, I guess it can be both things. Cause you're right. Um, if they're set up and Marquez is really going well, and then he's not in line to pitch the most important games, we'll come back to this conversation. But if Castellani has emerged as a guy who's going out there and give you, giving you five innings or six innings of quality baseball, more often than not, that's going to be, I think, the bigger, more important move for the Rockies for the season. Yeah, as, as Henry had, had asked in our chat room, like, about Bud Black being, you know, productive enough and, and making all those right calls, kind of similar to the article uh, you just published about, you know, what the Rockies are doing going through this slump, what kind of moves should they make because this is a shortened season. And you say, well, wait a minute, that means every game is worth that much more. You have to put Marquez on the hill Friday night because it could come back around again in game number 60. And that was my initial thought until I looked at the calendar and said, well, you know what? They're going to Houston on Monday for two games and then two games against the Astros again in Colorado. So what that means is Marquez would start on Thursday, the day game, 
the getaway day against Houston. And then on Friday, starts a three-game set with the Los, with Angeles, the Los Dodgers. Angeles Dodgers. And if you start Marquez on Somebody Friday on night, Twitter pointed this back, pointed this out to me actually about the Dodgers a week ago, and I forgot until you just said that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If you start Marquez on Friday, that means he then goes on Wednesday. You have Gray going on Thursday. And now against the Dodgers, you've got Freeland, Senzatella, Castellani. Okay? Now you've got Gray, Freeland, Senzatella. You like that much better against yeah. games that are worth that much more. So, yeah. you know, that in, in concert with what you said about the development of Castellani certainly earned, you know, another start. You want to reward a guy who's been who's doing that and you think is capable of, of doing it again at home. You know, it would have been one thing if he did that on the road somewhere and you say, hmm, Coors Field, it, it might not shake out that way, but he did that at Coors Field. So you say, you know what, let's run it back and let's have those three guys in the middle of our rotation go against the Dodgers in L.A. That is the more critical matchup. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a very good reason to do it as well. So while we're on the topic of managing things, uh, I think there was one other decision in this game tonight uh, that sat right at the core of this question, right, that is just so a a 7-10 split here when – we talked about, you know, Ryan Maltapi got on with the catcher's interference. Uh, then Ryan McMahon hits the double. Now it's a two-run game. Tony Walters comes to the plate. Walters has two hits in the game. Big double, as you mentioned, to drive in a run. Nice little single to right field. Both balls hit hard. He'd been in a big slump coming into the game, but starting to get out of it a little bit at the end of that Arizona series. So maybe you're seeing some positive things here. And I think that's the route that Bud Black went going, man, put together good at bats tonight and a little bit more lately sticking with my guy i really don't think you can hammer that decision too hard into the ground i would have put david Dahl in the game <laughs> i would have i would have gone to david Dahl because i think he's a better hitter and 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 again it's just like it's so beyond but the this season but david Dahl is over his last 14 with seven strikeouts and so there's no guarantee that if I do that, he doesn't also strike out on three pitches the way that Tony Walters did. Or Sam Hilliard, who was used in a similar situation in the Arizona series and struck out. And so while I think, you know, there might be, if if Dahl was sitting on a 280 batting average right now, it's maybe more debatable. But I, I mean, in my head though, like, again, this is where I've been playing too much MLB, the show where you're just like, but the one guy has a hitting tool of like 82 and the other guy sitting there at a 50, put in the guy with an 82 hit ranking, man. Uh, but it, it, you know, like, as you said earlier, they're not robots. They're not guys in a, in a video game machine machine. Doll's been eating it. Tony's been feeling it hard to debate that one. Yeah, it's, it, would, it would be very hard to justify a move like that because you're not really gaining an advantage if you replace a left-handed hitter with a left-handed hitter. In fact, you know, there's probably only a handful of, of instances over the course of a season where something like that would happen. In fact, I don't even know that really even happens at all nowadays. You'd only make that swap if there's just a matter of, hey, this guy's got a hammy issue, we're going to take him out. You You wouldn't necessarily do that and what that communicates to Tony Walters is obviously something not great. So, right. I think uh, for pop, I think, I, I think power is the, is the only time that that's ever really done where you're like, well, 
we need a home run here, which was the situation. Like, Tony's not going to go yard. The chances he does that are right. just incredibly small. And so that's why I thought either Hilliard or Dahl, because those guys have the power. But no, to, you, your point is, is still correct. But to go back <laughs> to your metaphor, you said, you know, what do you do here? It's a 7-10 split. And as a, as a former avid bowler, when you get a 7-10 split, you are not going to make it. But you try to get one of those two pins, either because it's going to be worth one pin, or if you're sitting on a strike, it'll be worth two pins, right? On the strike, that one carries over. We're right. not going to get into that. How, how uh, sure. scoring goes. Oh, I'll believe you. No, but if you get one pin, it's actually worth two if it's on a strike. So you, jo- you just go for that one pin. You don't need to do something flashy. You don't need the three-run home run from David Dahl. You just need to do one thing. Right. And if Tony is able to you know, hit, hit a ball in the hole somewhere, you're going to advance the runner to third base. Or if you get a fly ball, again, the runner's going to move up from second over to third base. So he could do something or just simply lay down a bunt. And now you got runners on second and third with one out and Garrett Hampson up at the top of the lineup who had been hitting incredibly well coming into the night. So you didn't even need to make the 7-10 split. You just had to do something smart there to advance the runners. And as you said, it, it didn't happen. And it's probably it, – it, it was the right move ultimately, right, because of that message that it sends to Walters to yeah. say, I, I want you up here because I'm not really gaining any market advantage right now um, to, to, to just swap you out with another left-handed hitter. Uh, but it, it was one of those moments where you go, wow, if only Chris Owings were a little bit healthier. You know, it, it's strange how the season is working out in that way where a guy like Chris Owings, you, you see his value on the roster and why you need that balance of right and left-handed hitters. And yep. so we'll kind of wait to see how he's doing. If, if he doesn't recover, uh, that would almost certainly mean, you know, Josh Fuentes would come back as uh, the next logical right-handed bat. We we don't get quite as many updates about what's going on at MSU in the alternate site, uh, but I imagine it would either be him or Jonathan Daza. But if you're if you're losing Owings, uh, more likely you're going to need you know more of an infield presence than yeah. uh, another outfielder like Daza. I think that's right. So Patrick, it is. A slump. It's the the Rockies are officially in, in a funk here now, and I, I sort of tweeted out. I was like, you know, hey, short season be damned. The Rockies are going to get their June swoon in anyway, and this it sort of <laughs> feels like one of those moments, right? But I do see a lot of people jumping off or, or getting ready to jump off, saying, "All right, same old Rockies, same old Rockies." And I will only say to those people this: You download that DraftKings Sportsbook app. I've got it downloaded. You've got it downloaded. It's enough. It's one thing to go out there and say on Twitter, and we all go out there and say on Twitter. I'm not acting like I don't go out there and say on Twitter. I talk. I talk some stuff. I've been known to say some stuff, but every once in a while, it's nice to metaphorically, not literally, because money is gross. But put your money where your mouth is. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and let us know. Who you think's going to win, who you think's going to lose, who you think's going to hit the big home run, who's going to get the big strikeouts, the over-unders on the run lines, all that stuff. If you're Mr. Baseball Smarty Pants or Ms. Baseball Smarty Pants, get out there with the DraftKings Sportsbook app and prove it to us. You download it today, you also get a sign-up bonus 
$10 free bet when placing a bet of $20 or more for all first round playoff action. I would highly recommend betting on the Avalanche because they're not going to lose again to the Coyotes. <laughs> so if you're if that's the route you're going, uh, we got some baseball stuff for you here in just a second. But if you want to take advantage of this one, the Avs are a solid bet. So DraftKings Sportsbook going all out by offering that $10 free bet when placing a bet of $20 plus on all first round playoff action. Again, that's code DNVR. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, Patrick. Let's give the people a little money advice. I got I got one here for them. We, we weren't going to advise you to take a, a negative money line or, or something weak or, or a favorite here. That's no, that's no fun. Uh, and so we're going to stay away from the Rockies game entirely uh, for yeah, you yeah. here on this Sunday action. Got to stay away from that. Uh, we're locking in as our DraftKings pick of the week. This might feel a little strange, but the Detroit Tigers – Having a surprisingly good season. Got one of their better pitchers going and Michael Fulmer on the mound going up against the Cleveland Indians who are throwing Adam Plutko, who I think has been pitching just a little bit over his head for the season, much above his known uh, career numbers where Fulmer has been a little bit the other way. So we're looking for those guys to kind of normalize like we were talking about for the Rockies, <laughs> you know, the, the bullpen sort of negatively normalizing out there. Uh, Detroit's been good. Cleveland has been overwhelming. Really like that pick out there. Uh, gets you a plus 125 too. So it's a solid, solid underdog pick for you. Yeah. And Fulmer's, you know, kind of in the ace of their staff ever since uh, he was originally acquired for Joanna Cespedes, who's a free agent out there, but no, the Rockies aren't going after him. So uh, Fulmer, again, like, like Drew said, you know, he, he's been good over the course of his career for the most part. And, um, you know, his, his start so far in 2020, it's been so-so. But I think he, he, he helps them snap that, their four-game skid right now. And as Cleveland is really going to be relying a, a little bit too much on Plutko right now, uh, even though he's, he's pitched relatively well against Detroit, because you may have heard, but two of their best pitchers, Zach Plezak and the Mike Clevenger, um, are in the minor leagues now, right? They've been optioned because they violated uh, rather fiercely the health and safety protocols and really didn't think anything of it and weren't as honest as they should be. So Cleveland actually decided to say, you know what, we're, we're going to focus more on our safety than our wins and losses, which is great and that should be commended. But for looking on a game-by-game -game basis, it's one of the reasons why um, – Detroit is your pick of the week, DraftKings pick of the week, uh, because Pluko has to save that bullpen, uh, and I think that's going to make it, you know, very hard for Terry Francona to kind of manage that bullpen right now, where you're going to have, I don't know, maybe two bullpen games this week with with two of your top starters right. out of action right there, um, and like I said, Pluko is 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 pretty quality, but uh, I think you're gonna you're gonna see things. Uh, flip back to the way they've been typically as far as Fulmer, you know, delivering on, uh, on everything that he's been for Detroit so far in his career. Yeah. 
All right, let's wrap it up on this. And I was actually going to check and see, and I, I'm not seeing it right now, if there's a strikeout line for John Gray, who's not had the oh. good swing and miss stuff yet this season, even in the games where I thought he was pitching well. He was hitting his spots. He had really good movement on the slider uh, in his first couple of outings, but was not getting strikeout. Still a lot of weak contact. Uh, we know what happened to him in his last outing against the Diamondbacks. Just nightmare of a game. A couple of hit balls, most of it soft contact, but he's still out there looking for the swing and miss stuff, looking for the 96-mile-an-hour fastball. Either that or looking to start living on that slider a little bit more often, I think. So um, what are we expecting to see out of John Gray in this final rubber match? And, and will it be enough? Can if, if he goes out and gives them another quality start, uh, are we at the point where we can trust the Rockies' offense, defense, and bullpen to hold that up to at least salvage a game in the series. After his last start, Gray seemed rather frustrated with the fact that he's been doing everything the same, and yet the fastball is just not there. And that's really frustrating because he he works hard enough so that everything does, you know, work in concert with one another. So that's that's been a struggle for him. But I think after this last start, particularly because it was at Coors Field, I think you're going to see, you know, Gray's approach change where he's he's going to go and, and, and start relying on some of those off-speed pitches a little bit more and, and say, hey, I need to locate. I'm not going to overpower guys. I, I may not be the, the Gray Wolf or the Wolf of Blake Street. I just need to be John Gray, Greg Maddox, you know. <laughs> <laughs> not a nickname that really is going to John exist. Greg Maddox. Yeah, so like we're going to uh, John workshop it. Greg Maddox, quote unquote. <laughs> Gray. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll we'll work on a nickname for that one. But he's just going to have to do that to be that that veteran guy where he has to be a little bit savvy. And who knows? Maybe the fastball does start to come back. Um, but yeah. if he if he alt- alternates that approach just a little bit, which you know he certainly should, and and, and I think. Any conversations that he has with with Steve Foster, it's it's going to go down that way. And saying like, you know, you, you just can't overpower guys right now. We're we're seeing that across the pitching staff right now. Maybe it's you know the the adrenaline of those first two weeks and that that eleven and three run is is getting to some of the guys where strikeouts da- seem down all the way across the board. Could just be the hitters finally catching up to the pitchers in many ways. So I think Gray is going to adjust. Look at what he did in his first start against Texas, which was uh, quality, but was probably a pitch or two just outside of maybe him going seven innings. His start did right. get cut short. Uh, so I think he's going to want to finally say, I want to have a, a more complete start. I want to go six innings, even if I give up three runs, maybe even four runs, that's fine. But I want a more complete six-inning start. And I think that's what you're going to see uh, out of Gray uh, on the, the final game of the series. I do too. And I'll, I'll predict that he gets some of that swing and miss back. I don't know how much, but I would take the over on a, a 4.5. I'll say he gets a, a solid five strikeouts in the game uh, and, and brings it back a little bit, which will be well above what he's done so far this yeah. year. Um, but I've seen him go through these little slumps before and, and, you know, and, and it could be like a dead arm thing and we might not see good, that that explosive John Gray for the rest of the season. But I, I think it could also be one of those things where just a little rut gets back into it. Uh, he figures it out. There's a lot of swing and miss in, in that lineup as well. 
um, even though that they didn't against Marquez, which was just a, a little bit strange. But, yeah, I, I think the Rockies will get this last one back, and they kind of need to. Yeah, you know, that's the thing I, I was thinking about is that this tomorrow's game is not a must-win game, but it's as close as a must-win game as they're going to have at this point in the season, right? It's just right. it's just too early to say you, you have to win a game, you know, uh, game number 21, I think, whatever it is, um, that that's insane. But it's as close as, as it, it could possibly be with the fact that they're 1-5 over the past week against teams that are not great. They're good, but they're not great. Um, and after they were playing so you know solidly, and, and, and L.A.'s been looking good, and, and they're in first place, and I don't think they're giving that up, which is fine. Uh, but, again, you, you still want to kind of erase this, clean your palate before you go on the road for, for two games against Houston before you come back. Um, and I think that would just be a, a, a nice fresh start for them before that Dodger series starts up next Friday. Yeah, absolutely. So stick with us for whatever it is that's going to happen over these next couple of days because we'll be here for it. And we know you will be too. You can't quit this team. You would have done it by now. So thank you all for listening in to the DNVR Rockies podcast. Make sure that you're following us on all the social media at Patrick D. Lyons, at Drew Creaseman, at DNVR underscore Rockies. Subscribe to the DNVR.com because you can read all kinds of exclusive written content there. Plus, you get discounts on merchandise from shirts to hats to masks that'll help keep you safe and help you look cool while you're out there in the world taking care of yourself and taking care of those around you. In the meantime, all we can ask is that you continue to be absolutely awesome out there. We will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.